From Schwartz Media, I'm Elizabeth Kulas. This is 7am. Tomorrow, Scott Morrison will be received in Washington on a state visit. The trip highlights the special relationship he has with Donald Trump and at the same time underscores the difficulty he has with Beijing. Paul Bongiorno on the Prime Minister's diplomatic wedge. All right, Elizabeth, let's get done. Okay, Paul, how are you? You're pulling up all right from last night? You're at the midwinter ball? Oh, yes. Um, I left the ball early, just before midnight, because I didn't want to turn into a... Um, <laughs> a pumpkin. I didn't want to turn into a pumpkin or anything like that. Paul Bongiorno is a columnist for the Saturday paper and a 30-year veteran of the Canberra Press Gallery. Yeah, it was an interesting ball. I think uh, it's at the end of a pretty bruising year. Um, Scott Morrison gave a much funnier and better speech uh, this year. In fact, I think he was funnier and a bit more self-deprecating than Anthony Albanese. So uh, from that point of view, you have to mark it as a yet another miracle win. <laughs> <laughs> So, Paul, Scott Morrison is this week en route to Washington. What is it that he can expect when he gets there? Donald Trump will be duchessing the Prime Minister in earnest. In fact, uh, he'll be putting on one of the most colourful ceremonies uh, a US president can muster. I've witnessed this twice, actually, once with Hawke and uh, once with John Howard. There's this amazing United States Old Guard Drum and Fife Corps. They'll perform on the South Lawn of the White House uh, in the Prime Minister's honour. They have these 18th century uniforms with red jackets and they play antique instruments. That then will be followed later that night with the privilege of a white tie official state dinner. And that's more fanfare than Trump has put on for other world leaders that have visited. Is Morrison a favourite of his, do you think? And are there echoes of kind of a Bush-Howard relationship or the revival of that kind of friendship? There is no doubt that uh, Trump has warmed to Morrison. He likes conservatives. Morrison has a reputation of being a conservative. Trump, of course, who likes to be the person who knows everything and uh, is the smartest person on the planet, says he always knew that uh, Morrison would win the election. He said it was no surprise to him. They called it an upset, but I don't call it an upset. You probably didn't. Your wife didn't call it an upset. (laughs) But I want to congratulate you very much. Uh, It's a fantastic thing you did. And he even said that he told Morrison that he would win the election before he actually did. Hmm. Did the invitation from President Trump, which came so soon after the election, was it a surprise? Well, yes, it's quite unusual that, that it came out of the blue. And, and of course, if a United States president says, come to Washington and I'll give you the full treatment, well, any Australian prime minister is going to say thank you. We can never take our relationship with the United States for granted. It is a foundational part of our foreign policy and our our economy. I take it seriously. And it uh, is bigger than prime ministers and presidents. It's it's about our people. It's about our shared values. Morrison has noted the fact that the relationship is bigger than personalities. In a formal statement about the trip, he said that uh, we have stood side by side with the United States in every major conflict since the First World War in the defence of freedom, liberty and democracy, the sort of phrase often used by American presidents. Uh, He says this is evidence of the strength of the relationship. Australia's ambassador to the United States, Joe Hockey, he's over the moon about it. Uh, It's a huge event. 
It is the greatest compliment the United States can pay to another country uh, to put on a full state reception. So, Paul, in terms of how Morrison's positioning the visit, though, in the past, a Prime Minister, an Australian Prime Minister, you'd think would just be thrilled to be spruiking a visit like this. But Morrison's been downplaying it a little. He's been stressing that what's important isn't the personalities and how they get on, but the enduring relationship. He said that this transcends any issues about who's in the White House or who's in the lodge. And he insisted in a number of interviews that he would be pursuing Australia's interests. And, and who is that last point aimed at, do you think, specifically? Well, honestly, China, the whole trip is a balancing act for the Prime Minister between our biggest trading partner and our biggest and closest military ally. And we know China doesn't like this. Last week, the American ambassador to Canberra, Arthur Culverhouse, urged Australia to have more confidence and courage to combat China with the United States. This gives you a sense of where we're at. Australia has spent the past decade or more not choosing, if you like, between the United States and China when it comes to engagement. And basically, the US is saying now, the American ambassador, who, by the way, is personally appointed by Trump, is saying, you've got to choose. And by that, they mean pick us. Uh, and, And China, of course, is saying pretty much the same thing. But it's clear that America's strategy of trying to contain China is not in our interest, and Morrison knows it. On Wednesday, the state-owned Chinese newspaper, The Global Times, published a trenchant opinion piece written by Professor Chen Hong. Uh, He's the director of the Australian Studies Centre at a university in Shanghai. This guy has an intimate knowledge of Australia-China relations and our politics. Well, Professor Chen Hong noted the Culver House quote and described the advice as condescending and self-interested. In the piece, he said that Morrison would be better off if he kept Australia's national interests in mind while savouring, and this is a quote, while savouring the foie gras at the White House. He correctly pointed out that China is the biggest importer of Australia's high-quality market-priced products and services. He says this means senseless attempts to decouple the two economies will only be detrimental to the interests and well-being of Australia and Australians. So the Chinese see Trump as the puppet master pulling Morrison's strings, and in fact cartoons in state media certainly portray it that way. The illustration in the Global Times opinion piece was just that. Uh, it was Trump as, as the puppet master and our Prime Minister as the marionette. We'll be right back. As a a. 7am listener, you value the story behind the headlines. That's why you should read Post, a free daily newsletter bringing you the top five news stories of the day, summarising each of their key points. Sign up today at thesaturdaypaper.com.au slash newsletters. For Sloane Crosley, writing about the loss of a friend may not have provided catharsis, but it did allow for the possibility of a better ending. Like you have this amazing meal that's this friendship and then you have a really, 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 really bad dessert with shards of glass in it. And then like the book is like, you know, those little chunks of chocolate that come with the bill. I'm Michael Williams. Join me for this week's episode of Read This as I talk to Sloane Crosley about her latest Grief is for People. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.
Paul, as we speak, Scott Morrison is about to land in Washington for his state visit. When was the last time an Australian Prime Minister made an official visit to China? Well, the last time we were invited was back in September 2016, and that was uh, an official visit made by Malcolm Turnbull. But uh, since then, we've been put in the deep freeze, basically. Foreign affairs sources say the cold shoulder is even manifested in petty ways. Our diplomats are shunned at Beijing receptions and arranging high-level meetings is almost an impossible task. The key word here is high-level meetings. You know, you can have a meeting with the Deputy Deputy Secretary, but you can't have a meeting with the Deputy Secretary or the Secretary, him or herself. That's the point. So we can't make high-level meetings and our diplomats are being ignored at functions. Yeah, well, that's what I'm told. Um, In fact, I spoke to uh, one in Canberra yesterday who said he's been told by our diplomats that they're just persona non grata in the sense that people realise that if they seem to be too friendly at receptions or or, or whatever, that it would be frowned upon by government sources and officials. There's something else I wanted to ask you about, Paul, and I'm interested in how over the last two sitting weeks, Morrison has fiercely defended Gladys Liu over her links to the Chinese political lobby. And I'm wondering if that's aimed at helping or if it has had the effect of helping the relationship with China. Well, yeah, if we take the Global Times piece as any guide, Chen Hong, the professor, described Morrison's defence as a decent gesture. Uh, He said that the Prime Minister condemned what uh, Chen Hong calls the defamation of Liu's political allegiance as casting a smear on Chinese Australians. Now, the member for Isaac should take a good hard look at himself and he should have a good hard look at the 1.2 million Australians who will see exactly what he is doing to Australians of Chinese descent. Just because someone was born in China doesn't make them disloyal. What the member for Isaacs is doing is casting a smear on Chinese Australians, Mr Speaker. But Mr Speaker... He said Morrison's remarks are significant. Morrison is showing clear reason and judgment. So if that is the view of someone quite close to the Chinese government, I'm sure Morrison would only hope that maybe maybe Beijing um, will begin to rethink its attitudes towards um, the Prime Minister. But then there's the domestic side of it for the Prime Minister too. Well, yeah, it's very messy. Cutting across Morrison's efforts at detente are the China hawks in his own parliamentary Liberal Party. They're not happy with Ms Liu or with his handling of her obfuscation. The West Australian newspaper reported last week that a handful of Liberal MPs had told the newspaper they wanted a full probe into their colleague to ensure her loyalties were not divided between China and Australia. The paper says, according to one MP, there's a sense that there should have been concerns when Liu was being chosen to stand as a candidate and the MP said he believed those concerns were ignored. One of the MPs, the paper quote, says, sooner or later we have to take off the rose-coloured glasses about what is happening. And of course, in the view of this MP, what is happening is Australian politicians are being used almost as fifth columnists. And that's coming from within the Liberal Party. Indeed. So who's prosecuting this case for the Labor side? Well, uh, in the House of Representatives, both the uh, opposition leader and uh, the Shadow Attorney General Dreyfus, but in the Senate, it's Labor's Senate leader, Penny Wong. She's taking the lead, and and that probably helps neutralise potential charges of racism. And yet again, we see 
Yet again, we see the arrogance of this government refusing to be accountable to this parliament, refusing to respond to public allegations, refusing to put the national interest first. And as they leave the chamber, ladies and gentlemen, this shows what this government thinks of the national interest. Walk out because you don't actually want to defend Australia's national interest. What a shameful group of cowards they are. What a shameful. Wong was successful in getting the numbers in the Senate to demand that the government's Senate leader, Matthias Cormann, give a formal explanation to give assurances to the Senate that Liu is a fit and proper person to remain a member of the Australian Parliament. Cormann was given 12 hours to come up with this statement. On Wednesday morning, he came into the Senate and he gave 100% support to Lou and hit out at the criticism of her, but he gave none of the explanation that uh, Wong and the rest of the Senate were demanding. An angry Wong, in fact, quoted the West Australian's report and noted it was Andrew Hastie's hometown of Perth. And what's the significance of bringing Hasty into this? Well, he's the chair of the Influential Parliamentary Joint Committee on Intelligence and Security. So he's been briefed by Australia's spy agencies on evidence of Chinese interference. You might remember him warning that we risk making the same mistakes France did with Nazi Germany if we appease the Chinese government. And do you think that Wong, in bringing him up in the Senate, is pointing out her belief that he is the source of this West Australian article? That's exactly the point. And in fact, in a couple of the quotes in the West Australian newspaper, sounds very much like what Hastie himself has already put on the record. Mm. And do we know what Morrison's thinking is on all of this? Well, look, even as the Chinese state newspaper noted, there is a domestic <laughs> political concern that Scott Morrison has, and that is that he only has a majority of one. And while he could kick uh, Lou out of the Liberal Party, that wouldn't mean that she automatically would leave the Parliament. But if she'd quit the Parliament, it would cause a by-election in Chisholm, and the Liberals won Chisholm against the odds, I think, just on a 1,000 votes. Mm. So um, that's an added reason for Morrison to to stick by Lou, which, of course, probably has the Americans looking on his uh, stand here and his defence of Lou's Chinese ties with a little bit of uh, disapproval. So from that point of view, uh, Morrison's wedged between Washington and Beijing. And did he mention any of this at all in his midwinter ball speech? No, he didn't. Uh, Anthony Albanese had a bit of a crack, but uh, as you would expect... I'll leave you with what I think should always be the spirit of the midwinter ball. Dance like nobody's watching. Talk like the security agencies aren't listening. And donate like Gladys Lou is organising. Join Richard Tognetti and the ACO for a bold and intrepid 2022. Featuring a live national concert season, their acclaimed on-demand film series ACO Studio Casts, and exciting programs from their new home in Sydney's Walsh Bay. Subscriptions now on sale at aco.com.au. Mahler's music embodies the very essence of humanity. Experience his epic Song of the Earth 
with the Australian Chamber Orchestra, Richard Tognetti and internationally acclaimed opera stars Stuart Skelton and Catherine Carby. Opens May 12. Book now at aco.com.au. Elsewhere in the news, a federal court ruling has found that the Tamil family from Biloela will remain in the country while their case is given a full hearing, which could take months. The case centres on the family's youngest daughter, two-year-old Thoronika, whose claim for protection has not been completely explored. Authorities have said they will not separate the family and they will not be able to deport them for the duration of the case. The date of a final hearing has not been set. And the Treasurer, Josh Frydenberg, has announced that the 2018-19 budget is the healthiest of the last decade, with a deficit of $690 million. He pointed to iron ore exports and related company tax payments for the increases in government revenue. Spending on the NDIS and certain family tax benefits over the same period was $6.4 billion below what was budgeted. 7am is produced by Emile Klein, Ruby Schwartz and Atticus Basto with Michelle Macklem. Eric Jensen is our editor. Our theme music is by Ned Beckley and Josh Hogan of Envelope Audio. Please consider subscribing to the show through your favourite podcast app or you can leave us a review if you listen on iTunes or Stitcher. It's a great help. This is 7am. I'm Elizabeth Kulas. See you next week. <laughs>